Thanks for tuning in to Mountain View Fellowship's weekly podcast with lead pastor Don Headley. At MVF, our mandate is pointing people to Jesus by fostering relationships. We know Jesus cared for people and placed a lot of emphasis on relationships. So we do too. We believe that we're created for relationship with God and that he gave each one of us a desire to belong. If you'd like more information about MVF, connect with us at mvfcolorado.com. Now, stay tuned for this week's message. Welcome to another message in this series entitled David. This is our summer series. We've been walking through the life of David all summer long. And uh, what we're finding is that King David is a very interesting character. Uh, As you saw from the, the video just a minute ago, he's got a lot of great qualities about him. He's a king. He's a warrior. He's a man after God's own heart. And uh, there's so many great things about David, but he's also flawed. He makes a lot of mistakes in his life. He uh, messes some things up. He makes some horrible decisions. And uh, some of those are coming up in the next few weeks. And and you want to make sure that you're here for those. Uh, Because here's the thing that we're learning is even though he was flawed, even though he messed up, God still loved him. And God still walked with him. And I think that should be very encouraging to all of us because every one of us are broken, we're messed up, and I think we can learn a lot from the life of David. And that's what this series is all about, just lessons learned from the life of David. Uh, David is an interesting character because in Scripture we're told more detail about his life than any other character in all of Scripture except for Jesus Christ. And so we know a lot about this guy named David. I want to take you to one of the stories that, uh, that we're covering today. Uh, this is an amazing story, a phenomenal story of unexpected grace. And so if you'd head over to 2 Samuel chapter 9, go to 2 Samuel chapter 9. Uh, now, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. Those guys coming up and down the aisle. If you raise your hand, they're not going to ask for your name. They're just going to hand you one of those Bibles. It is our gift to you. Uh, just flip over to 2 Samuel chapter 9. We just want you reading with us today, so make sure you grab one of those Bibles. Also, if this whole thing, this whole church thing is new to you, man, grab one of those Bibles because you'll notice up on the screen there's page numbers, and that'll help you to find the passage a little bit quicker. It'll help you to, to become more familiar with the Word of God so that you can uh, read along with us this morning. And as I always say, I want you to read it. I don't want you to just take my word for it. Because I believe there's something incredible that happens when we open the Word of God and we begin to read it. It's almost an invitation to, the, to God Almighty to meet with us right where we're at. And I believe He begins to speak to, uh, to us through His Word when we do that. So uh, make sure you grab one of those. Also, if you have any questions during the message, you can text them to the phone number up here on the screen or tweet them with hashtag MVF Colorado. Either way, if we get some questions at the end of this, we'll try to get our pastors up here and try to answer a couple of those before you head out today. Uh, let me ask you this before we get rolling today. Have you ever experienced unexpected grace? Like you didn't get the punishment that you deserved, but it was even more than that. Like they even, even gave you something greater than what you deserve. See, there's a big difference between mercy and grace. Mercy is not getting the punishment that you deserve. Grace is like the cherry on top. It's like not only was I not punished, but I was given a reward. I was given something instead of punishment. Have you ever been given unexpected grace? In my life, I've experienced it many times, and it's come from people like my parents. It's come from people like my wife, and, and it's always something that will, it'll rock you back on your heels, it'll shake you up. 
Uh, it's one of the, the times in life when you really come face to face with God through other people, when they show you unexpected grace. It, it's something that'll take your breath away when you see it in real life. If you've never experienced it, you, you need to experience unexpected grace. God extends that to us, and I want to share that with you today through this story. This story is amazing to me because I, I think it's a, it's a phenomenal story, and if you're here, you're an expecting mother, you're expecting parents, you're here on a great week because we're going to give you some awesome names that you can use if you want. Uh, the Bible's always full of great names, right? Uh, I want you to say this with me. Mephibosheth, would you say that? Mephibosheth. One, two, three. Okay, so we all got it. We're good to go. Okay, uh, this is our character for today. It's 2 Samuel chapter 9. And in this story, what I want to do is I want us to read through this story. And then what we're going to do is we're going to pull out, I think, three parallels, some, some truth, some lessons, if you will, that I think are, are perfect for us right here and right now. Uh, as we've said the last couple of weeks, these stories are taking place about 3,000 years ago. They're recorded, and here we are 3,000 years later reading them. And it's amazing to me as we open these passages up and we read them, how relevant they are for us right here and right now. And so today, uh, we're going to read through this, we're going to set the tone a little bit, and then we're going we're gonna to just dig out three truths that I think that parallel our lives today. Now, before we jump into it, I need to give you some context, because if you haven't been here, we've covered quite a bit of David's life already. Uh, David has been anointed king as a young age. He's, he's slayed the giant uh, Goliath in front of the entire army of Israel. Uh, there's some great things that have happened in his life. He, he makes a great friend with the king's son. The king's son's name is Jonathan, and those two men are like Two peas in a pod, if you will. They're, they're fellow warriors. They've been through everything together. And they make a covenant with one another that they're going to protect each other's family, that they're going to look after each other, that no matter what, they're not going to turn on one another. And so David has made a pact with Jonathan. But see, Jonathan's father, his name is Saul. He's the king, and he is actually jealous and hates David. And so he's chasing David all over the countryside, trying to kill him, trying to take his life. Now, to give you some background in all this story before we jump into uh, 2 Samuel chapter 9, uh, you need to understand that at this point in the story, by the time we make it through 1 Samuel and we get to first, I'm sorry, 2 Samuel chapter 9, some things have happened since last week. Uh, Saul and Jonathan have gone to war, and they both were killed in battle. And in that, that threw some, uh, the, the nation into turmoil. There's a struggle for who's going to be king, and, and the southern kingdom, Judah, rises up, and they announce that David is their king, but the north kingdom, Israel, does not do that. Uh, there, there's a young man, Ishbath, is another son of Saul, another name that you might want to use for your kid. Uh, Ishbath actually is one who is named king of the northern kingdom, and now they have a kingdom that's divided. Israel is named a different king than David, and so Judah and Israel go to war against one another. These are brothers. These are tribesmen fighting against one another because they're declaring somebody else king. It's the battle that we have within us, if you will. We're always struggling, especially if you've been walking with Christ for a while. It's always a struggle. There's an inner battle that goes on between are we the ones that are the kings of our lives or is Jesus the king? And there's this struggle that we, we work uh, through every day, it seems like. This is what's going on with Judah and Israel. And in the middle of all this, uh, David comes to the throne in Judah when he's 30 years old. 
He's fairly young. This is a seven-year delay of him being king of Judah, but not Israel. And then seven years later, two men sneak into the camp. They were actually uh, Ishbot's men. And while he's sleeping, they kill him, and they cut off his head, and they bring it back to David. Almost like they've done a great thing. And David is so upset over this. He says, uh, because you've done this, you've killed this innocent man. You, you cut off his head and you brought it to me and you acted like it was a good thing. He says, I don't want this blood on my hands. And so he orders his men to slaughter them. And that's exactly what they do. But in that moment, David's re- response to that actually establishes him as king over not just Judah, but Israel as well. And so now for the first time in a long time, the entire nation has one king. They all come under the rule or the reign of King David. And so here we are uh, in 2 Samuel chapter 9. King David has actually brought some, some harmony to the nation. He's actually taken Israel and Judah. He's brought them together. He's established Jerusalem as the capital city. He has gone to war against the Philistines and all the other enemies. He's having great, great success in that. And they're, they're experiencing a moment of peace like they've never had before. The territories are expanded farther than it's ever been. And David sits back just for a minute to reflect on everything that's gone on. And that's where we end up at the very beginning of 2 Samuel chapter 9. Take a look at this as we read through this. It says, one day David asked, is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Remember he had a covenant with Jonathan, Saul's Saul's, uh, son, And in this moment, years later, he's reflecting back on that relationship and that covenant that he made. And he's like, is there anybody in Saul's family that's still alive? He summoned a man named Ziba, who had been one of Saul's servants. Are you Ziba? The king asked. Yes, sir, I am, Ziba replied. The king then asked him, is anyone still alive from Saul's family? If so, I want to show God's kindness to them. Zebra, Zebra replied, yes, one of Jonathan's son, sons is still alive. He is crippled in both feet. Now, it's an interesting statement how he's described. Mephildosheth is actually uh, crippled. You're going to find out later why. But I think one of the reasons why Zeba says this is because this was not an uncommon practice for the, the next king that was coming in to take the throne would slaughter the last king's family. Because you wouldn't want anyone else to have a right to the throne. You wouldn't want anyone else to challenge you for your throne. And so they would wipe out especially the males in that family. And for this king to be asking, is there anyone from the the last king's family that I can show kindness to would be kind of suspicious. And so Ziba comes in and he says, hey, yes, there is one. It's one of Jonathan's sons, but he's crippled in both feet. Almost to say, you don't have to worry about him. Like he's not going to be a threat to you. Where is he, the king asked. In Lodabar, Ziba told him, at the home of Maker, son of Emuel. So David sent for him and brought him from Maker's home. His name was, anyone still got it? Mephibosheth? Let's say it a few more times. No, anyway. I, I thought about just calling him Phil through this whole message, you know? But Mephibosheth. He was Jonathan's son and Saul's grandson, so a son to the prince, a grandson to the king. 
When he came to David, he bowed low to the ground in deep respect. David said, greetings, Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth replied, I am your servant. Don't be afraid, David said. I intend to show kindness to you because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. I will give you, get this, all the property that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul, the king. And you will eat here with me at the king's table. Mephibosheth bowed, uh, bowed respectfully and exclaimed, Who is your servant that you should show such kindness to a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Saul's servant Ziba and said, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and servants are to farm the land for him to produce food for your master's household. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, will eat here at my table. Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Ziba replied, yes, my lord, the king. I am your servant, and I will do all that you have commanded. And from that time on, Mephibosheth ate regularly at David's table like one of the king's own sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah. From then on, all the members of Ziba's household were Mephibosheth's servants. And Mephibosheth, who was crippled in both feet, lived in Jerusalem and ate regularly at the king's table. Now, great story, amazing story. Uh, one you probably won't find anywhere else in history because this just did not happen. As I said before, the custom was they would just wipe out the family of the last king. But in this one, we have a king who's actually looking for somebody from the last king's family to extend kindness to. And not just kindness as you and I would understand it, but as he put it, God's kindness. A whole other level of kindness. Restoring him completely to a place where he gets all the property that once belonged to his grandfather. The crops and livestock. Think about all that came to him in that one moment just by a spoken word from the king. And then... He gets to eat at the king's table as, notice the scripture said, one of his own sons. He ate regularly there. He was part of the king's family when normally they would just put him to death. I believe that this story has some amazing truths for us, some, some parallels that, uh, that go perfectly with our own lives. As, as we look into this story, I want to draw these out this morning because I believe that this is one of those stories that God uses, that he made sure that was in the scriptures to show us not only that it's a great story, what, not only what happened in David and Mephibosheth's life, but I think it's a story that he parallels with his relationship to us. Uh, there's many of these stories all through Scripture. Some of them are, are the prophets. If, if you think about the book of Hosea, Hosea is a prophet that God says, look, I want you to go into town, and I want you to marry a prostitute. She's going to keep running off on you. I don't care. I want you to keep pursuing her and bringing her back. And the whole story is how God loves his people, even though they run away from him. And it's in Scripture, just so that we can read it thousands of years later and go, God never gives up on us. He keeps chasing after his people. This is one of those stories, I believe. I believe when this is going down, uh, God is, is trying to, through this story, show how much he loves his people. And so uh, if, if we take a look at this story, one of the things that we find out very quick is that Mephibosheth's feet are crippled. He's not a warrior. He's not a threat to the throne. 
And you might wonder why he's crippled in the first place. If you have been reading with us on our reading plan, you would have read this this last week. In 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4, this is what it says. It gives us the story. Saul's son, Jonathan, had a son named Mephibosheth, who was crippled as a child. Now take a look at this. This is a time when David was coming to power. He was just being announced as king. Okay, and I just told you what the custom normally was. It says he was five years old when the report came from Jezreel that Saul and Jonathan had been killed in battle. When the child's nurse heard the news, she picked him up and fled. Why? Because they were going to kill him. That's what would normally happen. She's been caring for him for five years. She loves him. She's trying to flee with him. But as she hurried away, she dropped him and he became crippled. You find out it was a mistake. It was an accident. She drops this child, and somehow he becomes crippled over this fall. And it messes him up to where even later on in life, he's still crippled. Uh, we've never, we don't hear anything else about the nurse. We don't know where she's at. We don't know what she went through. But, but Mephibosheth is still having to deal with crippled feet. And, and so the first truth that I would throw at you this morning from this story that I think parallels our own life, is that Mephibosheth, he was actually crippled and broken by a fall. He was crippled and broken by a fall. His nurse dropped him on the way out the door, fleeing because David was being named king. Uh, Zebra replied, he said, yes, one of Jonathan's sons, his name is Mephibosheth, he's, he's alive, but he's crippled. You don't have to worry about this guy, like he's messed up anyway. But what I find interesting, David doesn't care. It doesn't make any difference to him. He's going to show kindness to whoever he can because, not because of who they are or or what they can do for him or the condition that they're in, but because of who he belongs to. You and I have been crippled from a fall. If you go clear back to the first book in the Bible, you'll find in Genesis that there was a fall of mankind. Adam and Eve sinned against God, and it broke that relationship that you and I had with God. We're broken. We're crippled because of a fall, and there was no way that you and I could make that right. There was nothing that you and I could do in our own power to restore that relationship. Mephibosheth was stuck. He was in hiding, and I think it's so interesting that he's crippled, but he is in such good hiding that even the king doesn't know he's alive. He doesn't want to be found. Some of us are so deep in our fall that we hide. We're in shame. We don't, we don't want to go to church. We don't want to go to Bible study. We don't want to go to life group. We don't want to hear about God because we're in hiding And if it's not all of us, it's parts of us. Areas of our life that we don't want anyone else to see, especially God, like he doesn't see it already. And we find ourselves in hiding, broken and crippled because of a fall. But God, in his love and kindness, made a way for us to be made right with him. See, God in his plan sent Jesus Christ to this earth to give up his life on the cross to sacrifice himself, to make us broken, messed up, nasty, dirty, dead dogs right with him. 
And it's through the sacrifice that Jesus Christ makes on the cross that you and I have the opportunity to receive his kindness. He extends it to us free. There's nothing you have to do except acknowledge it. To acknowledge that you have a God who loves you, who died for you. And to receive that into your life. To claim him as Lord and Savior of your life. But yet so often we'll stay in hiding instead. If Mephibosheth had known at all how David felt about his father, do you think he would have been hiding all these years? I don't think so. See, some of us, we hear it. We hear that God loves us. We hear that Jesus came and died for us, but we still stand hiding because we really don't believe it. And my question is this. Do you believe, do you believe it when I say that Jesus loves you? So often back here in these back rooms, we've got a great children's department. Many of you serve and volunteer back there. And, and we're looking for more volunteers as we move into the fall, okay? Just as a, a quick plug. We need people. And we need you in specialized areas. Why? Because back there, they're teaching those kids that Jesus loves them. Some of you were raised in the church. You remember that when you were a kid. Some of you saw it on flannel graph. That's a church joke for those that you don't know what flannel graph is, all right? But here we are somehow years later, and we've forgotten the lesson that Jesus loves us. Even though that we're broken and crippled from a fall, he still loves us, and he desires a close relationship with us. Can I just say this? If you have never heard that before, if you've never, never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, please come talk to me, talk to one of the pastors before you leave here today. We're going to be doing baptisms right after this service It would be a great day for you to say, look, I'm done hiding, I'm done running. I want Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I want to receive that that gift of kindness and be baptized before you leave here today. We're all crippled and broken because of a fall. Second truth that I would give you from the story this morning is that he he was pursued and shown kindness by the king. The king didn't give up on him. The king pursued him, chased him down, found him, and brought him to the palace. And he was pursued and shown kindness from the king. David's search, when he says, hey, is there anyone, if you notice, he says, is there anyone in Jonathan's family? He didn't say, is there any guy or girl or Anybody that's good physically, is, is, is there any strong men? Are there any intelligent women? There, there were no restrictions on that. He just said, anyone, I don't care who they are, bring them to me. There wasn't a certain criteria that David laid out to show kindness to them. Now, knowing the custom of ancient uh, kings is to kill off the old uh, regime, to take care of the old king's uh, family, I'm sure that when Ziba came in and said, yeah, there's one. This is where he lives in Lodabar. He's at Maker's house. And, and, and the, the messengers go and they bang on the door. Can you imagine being Mephibosheth and being in that house and hearing that the king's men are there looking for you? What, what must have gone through your mind? Do you think he thought there was ill will there? Do you think he was excited to see the messengers? I don't think so. I, I think in... in First, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4, what we just read a minute ago, the reason he's crippled is because he was running from David. 
the nurse, the one that was supposed to care for him, was running away from David and dropped him. And he's crippled. Every day he lives with a reminder that he needs to be running from David. There's a fear that comes and strikes his heart when he hears the knock at the door. And here's the kicker about the whole thing. He can't even do anything about it because he's crippled in his feet. He can't even run away on his own. Some of us, we deal with the same thing Mephibosheth does. Uh, There's something in our life that's a daily reminder, at least we think so, that the king hates us, that the king doesn't love us, the king doesn't want anything to do with us. And it's because of that that we struggle in our relationship with God. I've got a really good friend. Uh, we grew up early 20s, uh, late teens, early 20s, in the 30s together, and we were around him all the time. And Great guy. He uh, kind of has the same story I did. He got his girlfriend pregnant in high school, and um, they had a beautiful little girl. But being 17, 18 years old and having a, a small child and, and trying to figure this parent thing out can be very difficult. And, and uh, one night he's at home, and he's watching their, their baby girl, and uh, his wife goes out, and I don't remember what she was doing. She was out for several hours. And my buddy's at home with his little girl, and he's watching her. And, and she just gets to this place where she just starts crying, and he can't stop her from crying. And it goes on for several hours. Like, he's doing everything. He's feeding her. He's checking the diaper. He's trying to give her a drink. And he's just, he leaves her. He picks her up. He rocks her. He does everything that he can think of. And, and being a young dad, he's just getting so frustrated about the whole situation that he can't even get his, his young daughter to stop crying. That, that anger and frustration takes over. And he does the one thing that we should never do. And he shook his baby. And from that day to this day, his daughter's crippled. Uh, she, she's crippled on one side. She, she drags her foot. She's got one hand that curls up so she has trouble using. She's a beautiful young lady today. But even today, he's got a reminder every day of something that he did that was horrible. Something that he did that he can't let go of. It's a daily reminder. And Satan uses that every day to tell him what a horrible parent he is. That there's no way that God can love him. Even though, get this, God's forgiven him. His wife has forgiven him. And if we brought his daughter in here today, she'd say she loves her dad. She's forgiven him. But when you talk to him, he overprotects her. He won't let anything happen to her. He's been, he's been spending the rest of his life trying to make up for that one action. Some of you are in that same place. You've got something in your life that stands between you and the kindness of the king. That you think that the king hates or the king won't forgive and the king won't love you because of this. And if you, if you don't hear anything else this morning, let me tell you this. Please catch this. The king loves you. The king wants to show kindness to you. The question is, will you allow him to? Some of you are repeating the same thing Mephibosheth did. Who am I? Dead dog. You would show kindness to me. 
And our Heavenly Father stands up and he says, you are my son or you are my daughter. That's who you are. I think the next truth that I would give you is where God wants us to go with that. And it's the fact that he wants to bring us in and he wants to restore us and he wants us to be accepted at his table. And so I would say it this way. Mephibosheth was restored and accepted at the king's table. And guess what? Today you are too. You are too. I'm going to ask the team, uh, the worship team is going to be serving communion this morning. They're just going to pass it. As I finish, would you just take those trays, grab the elements, and then just pass it on to the next person? Would you do that? Guys, Mephibosheth was treated uh, like one of David's sons, is what it says. He was restored. He was brought into the palace. Even though... Typically, the king would go out and wipe them out. He'd kill all the sons of the last king. Instead, David brings him in, and he says, not only are are you going to be part of my family, but I'm going to give you all of the lands that belong to your, your your grandfather Saul. When King Saul had all of this land, it's yours. When he had the servants, it's yours. The livestock is yours. The crops, they're yours. And he gave it all back to him. Now, you and I think about that and we go, oh, that's awesome. That's great. I wish that was my, my story. But here's the kicker. God has blessed you and he's blessed me beyond what he blessed Mephibosheth with. You realize that? He, he got to go to the palace and eat with the king every day. And even though Mephibosheth was restored to his position, to being a property owner, to being a crop owner, here's the deal. Being accepted, having the privilege of being the king's friend, and being able to eat with the king was of higher importance than having everything restored to him. It was the relationship with the king that meant more than all of the stuff and the reason I say that is many of us today, we, we have our herds, right? We have our lands. We have our careers. We have our reputations. We have our money. We have our cars. We've got everything. And we lack a relationship with the king. It means nothing without a relationship with God himself. Today we come in here And we read this story uh, about Mephibosheth being restored to the king's table. And we wonder what that would be like. And can I just say, we have that opportunity. When we gather together as believers, do you realize that? God says where two or more are gathered, he is in our presence. He is right here, right now with us. We have an opportunity to commune together with the almighty God. We have an opportunity to sit at the king's table. Jesus would explain this years later, before he would go to the cross. He would sit his disciples down. Uh, they, they would gather in an upper room the night before he would head to the cross. And Jesus would take some bread and he would break it and we'd pass it around. And he would tell all of the disciples, This is my body broken for you. And I'm sure in that moment, they didn't understand what he was talking about. They didn't get it. They didn't know what he was saying or what he was doing. They're just like, okay, what, Jesus, okay. But the next day when he would go to the cross and they would see his body whipped and beaten and broken, crucified, I'm sure that night and his words would make a lot more sense. 
Uh, he would pass a cup and, and he would have him drink from it. He'd say, this, this, is, this wine represents my blood that's spilled for you. It's a covenant that I'm making with you. And the next day, again, while they watched him bleed on the cross, it would make a lot more sense. Here we are a couple thousand years removed, and we have the opportunity to sit like this, to join together, to take communion together, to sit at the king's table, to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made. And so what I'm going to ask you to do is if you would just bow your heads with me. We're going to take communion together today. Because God has shown us great kindness. Because he went to the cross and gave his life so that you and I wouldn't stay broken and crippled in our fall. But we could be restored back into his family as one of his children. So today... Heavenly Father, we just come to you as your people. We ask that in this moment that you would meet with those, especially those who are in hiding. There's so many, Lord, that are just hiding from you. They think that whatever they've done, you can't forgive it. You can't move past it. You could never love them. God, I pray that in this moment, through this time at your table, that you would make known to them that you've been pursuing them and that you desire to restore them. God, we thank you for all these things. Would you please move in our hearts in this moment? Matthew 26 says, as they were eating, Jesus took some bread and he blessed it. And then he broke it into pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, take this bread, eat it, for this is my body broken for you. Would you go ahead and take the bread? Jesus, we thank you for your body. It goes on to say, and then he took the cup, a cup of wine, and he gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and he said, each of you drink from it, for this is the blood of my body which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It's poured out as a sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. This is my covenant between you and and me. Would you please drink of the cup? Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for being a God who loves us, who does not give up on us. We thank you for being a God who came for us. God, for those in the room who have never heard that before, I pray that you would meet them right where they're at. For those of us that have received this, Lord, renew it in our hearts and minds that when we leave here today, that you have restored us, that you are walking with us, that you have accepted us and brought us to your table. God, we thank you for all these things because there's no way we could have done it on our own. It's only through your love and grace. God, we pray all this brings glory and honor to the name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said. Thanks for joining us here at Mountain View Fellowship. We'd love the chance to meet you in person. We gather each Sunday at 9 and 1045 a.m. at 1955 Headlight Road in Strasburg, Colorado. If you aren't able to join us in person, we'll meet you right back here next week. God bless.